Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Wabo's most shortest work, five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. That's me. And we are back to talk about the final arc of Pact, Judgment Ooh. 16. Arc 16. 16.1 specifically. Yeah. I'm I, I'm starting to get a bit emotional knowing that we're hitting mm. the end. It's like a really long arc, so I'm getting yeah. a bit ahead of myself. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's crazy to think it's almost over. Yeah, we got another, what, month and a half of uh, arc left, but then that's it. Mm. And when it comes to an end... Just a reminder, we're doing a nice little 24-hour live stream, so <laughs> uh, come and tune in for that, and it'll be fun. Yep. Um, we're actually going to publish the schedule for that pretty soon, because we've got it almost completely locked in, so yes. that's good. Yeah, we'll probably publish it with a few to-be-confirmed, and, and it won't be completely final, but it should give you a general idea of what to expect. Yeah. Um, cool. So, in Judgment 16.1, we're back. Uh, the lawyers have just... Well, I guess they, they haven't yet, but we're about to see them summon a bunch of dead folks. Um, <laughs> actually, we're, we're back in Rose's point of view, and she's just seeing the other lawyers arrive. And she recognizes some of them, but gets distracted as Blake basically starts sticking memories into her brain. Yeah, he's he's trying to help, um, yeah, but yeah. he's doing it in his distinctly Blake way, which is uh, making everyone hate him, hate him as he does it. Yes, uh, uh, Rose basically gets pretty annoyed with him over the course of this chapter. <laughs> uh, and I mean, f- fair enough. Like, uh, we'll dive into exactly what's going on there. But um, I mean, obviously, I think the thing we've got to talk about right here is, mm. yeah, like we are very clearly just one hundred percent in Rose's perspective. Yeah. Before it was a bit more muddied, uh, where it was Blake, yeah, seeing Rose's like stream of consciousness. This is th- there's none of that. We're externally thinking of Blake. Um, there's no cutaways to, you know, me versus Blake and that, yeah. um, you know, I'm thinking back to the only other one, uh, so the only other power, or the only other wild boy story I have finished. <laughs> got there in um, the end. Yeah, got there eventually, uh, which is Spec um, from Worm and, and thinking about what happened there. And I'm, I'm wondering if, uh, like, this raises an interesting question to me, this whole thing, which is at, what is Blake's perspective? What yes. is Blake? Like he's, he's been giving away bits of himself and I'm wondering if us transitioning to Rose's perspective is this story making a bit of a statement about what Blake's self is and like, you know, are we arguably still in Blake's perspective because he's given so much of himself that this is now Blake's perspective? Yeah, I, I think the thing that counters that thought is Blake is clearly in there and having his own sentient thoughts, right? Yeah. Because he's he's doing stuff. Um, we don't know that he's for sure able to be back in the space that he was in before, but... He he has some agency, and we don't see him make decisions to use that agency. We just see the results of it. So we're definitely in Rose's perspective here. I think, yeah, I, 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 I don't well, know. No, but that's the thing. Like, he's given so much of himself to Rose. Is there now, like, you know... If we if we go back to the whole thing where we as the audience of spirits have yeah. has have things now shifted to the point where so much of Blake has been put into Rose and so many of the core bits his connections with his friends I think he gave her his like improvisation bullshittery yep. ability yeah like it has so much of the core of Blake moved into Rose that Rose's perspective is now a more Blake perspective yeah. than the no, actual like consciousness of Blake like that's that's sort of what I was getting well, at. yeah like it, so so Rose is now more Blake than Blake Blake is exactly. some other thing interesting yeah yeah so we're um, still following the closest thing to blake that exists yeah like like that that was sort of the idea that came up in my head i i guess we'll see but uh 
I mean, definitely the point is we are not in Blake's head um, yes. in the sense of the entity. You see, now I've just confused the terms <laughs> in my head. Um, yeah. We're in Rose's point of view, not Blake's. That's just the terminology I'm going to stick yes, with. Yes, I think episode. that's the least confusing <laughs> thing to do. Um, yeah. And I mean, so the big thing I sort of took from Rose's point of view here mm. is how much all this is hurting her as much as Blake. Like, yes. obviously, when we were in blake inside of rose's perspective um it was clear how much damage it was doing to him to to sort of shove memories over and stuff and we yeah. kind of see it, it it's obviously not pleasant for her as well yeah um which I, I don't suppose i thought it would be but seeing how bad it is kind of made me do a bit of a double take yeah it reaffirms a bit that even though they're on paper working together it it doesn't solve their problem they're still you know they still can't really coexist as entities yeah, they're literally, like, cutting against the grain trying to work together. Yeah. Um, and, like, I mean, the other big thing here is, like, a bit later, Rose thinks on, you know, why she kind of let Blake, you know, hop on in. And yeah. And basically she decided, essentially, that she decided to agree with his negative sum game uh, <laughs> tactics, which I just love that as a summary of um, Blake, because it's, it's not fair, but also it, it really is. Yeah. Um. I mean, I guess, you know, this system sucks, so yep. negative sum game in this system, arguably not that bad. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just it's just so interesting how they're the... She's kind of come around to his way of thinking, and that's so not where she should be. Like, this whole thing where they're working together, it's just fascinating. I can't wait to see more of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, speaking of working together, Rose kind of looks over and notices that the new people from Toronto that have joined are really not, uh, providing a united front. They're not, you know, attacking each other, but it's quite clear, at least to Rose, that they're, they're all divided up, you know, they're all kind of split up and divided. Um, so that's, I'm sure, going to <laughs> be fun. Yeah, I mean, it really takes me back to when Blake was in Toronto trying to deal with these fuckers. Like, they just... Yeah. He had to literally move mountains to get them to work together. Yeah, um, yeah. It, yeah, and it just... It's a bunch of selfish people who just... It doesn't come naturally to them. It's going to be interesting to see if they can learn to be better going forward. Yeah, uh, we shall see. Um, so if something else that's interesting on that is Rose kind of thinks, oh, it's so obvious that we're so divided. <laughs> but in our point of view ch chapter uh, last time, from a different point of view, that, that lawyer did not notice these divides. It went uncommented on, so maybe it's not as obvious as Rose thinks. I don't know. That, that lawyer was canonically shit at everything. Yeah, he was canonically um, bad. So, like, just because he didn't notice doesn't mean Levin and Lewis didn't. True. Um, so, I think one other thing before we get into the chapter proper is we kind of have been talking about the idea that Granny Rose didn't prepare her grandchildren for this. And uh, Rose kind of finally clicks on why that is uh, with, a, with a hint from Blake. It's that the lawyers basically flooded the important information that Granny Rose left behind with all of her other notes and diaries. So, you know, presumably Granny Rose will have left, obviously she left the letter, but she might have even left some other stuff too. And uh, the lawyers just made sure that there were enough diaries that it was impossible to string the important pieces together, basically. I actually, I, I read it differently. I thought Granny Rose is the one who hid the important information amongst the, the, the trash. True. Like, it, it was her hiding it from the lawyers with the hopes that her grandkids would see through it, which 
you know, they did eventually. Yes. They um, got there. And Rose kind of notes that now Blake is able to just basically be his research assistant, finding the important bits and serving them up to her as she needs them. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, I mean, like, as you mentioned, we've often complained that Granny Rose never gave any prep to her grandchildren. Yeah. And I think one of the big reasons I always felt the need to complain about that was because it didn't really make sense to me. She seemed smarter than that. Yep. And you, you think by now I would have learned to give this story more credit than, <laughs> than that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he, here I am again sort of saying, well, yeah, of course, this this makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it does make sense. And yes, you should have given the story more credit, Elliot. <laughs> um, so yes, uh, Rose's perspective kind of catches up to what we saw happen last chapter, where Mrs. Lewis summons a bunch of spooky ghosts, and everyone starts to basically freak out. Um, yeah, and of course, you know, Alexis pops out, which is really interesting, because um, this really affects Rose, and, um, well, you know, it affects Rose's heart, which annoys Rose's head, because Rose isn't used to having feelings and she's not really equipped to to deal with them like she yeah she her her response to sort of having her heart broken at seeing alexis is oh this is inconvenient yes exactly um, i love you know, it you, we, we can sort of see how not all of what blake was pushing made it through uh yeah and you gotta wonder like you know inside is blake kind of having the opposite existential dread at like you know knowing that he should be upset seeing alexis and he isn't yeah, interesting. I, I suspect that would be happening uh, because we know he's been ruminating on other Alexis memories after he shoves them to the surface. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's just, I again, it's another example of how what these two are doing to each other is just kind of hurting them both. <laughs> yeah, like, I think I think it's working in some other ways, but yeah. like, oh, like they're really they're really killing themselves to do it. It would be so frustrating to be Rose because Blake has just kind of turned on the button that means you have emotions and the attack that Mrs. Lewis goes with is obviously such an emotionally driven one. Like, (laughs) you'd be like, man, fucking Blake, come on. (laughs) Yeah, I think she phrases it perfectly later on where she's just like, yeah, you know, it's around when I, the bit I quoted before about the negative sum game. Yeah, where Rose is just sort of like, yeah, I knew I'd get dragged into his just like jumping in headfirst bullshit where he doesn't think about the big picture. Yeah, and that's kind of what you're describing here. Like it, it, Blake is just giving her emotions for one bit, and now it's coming back to bite her, and Blake doesn't really think like that. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I mean, there's explicit discussion in this chapter of uh, Rose being the long-term planner and Blake being the you know short-term planner. Yeah. Uh, this is a great reflection of that, right? Rose is annoyed yeah. because Blake shoved some tool into her that was useful in the moment, but now is a detriment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so Rose notices that these dead folk seem to remember things that they shouldn't, and she looks at them with the sight, and this reveals that they have these kind of burning connections tying them to their, you know, living connections. Yeah, so to kind of, like, extend on what you were talking about before with... Like, how an emotional attack was so perfect by Miss yeah, Lewis right now. Because, yeah. like, obviously, it's great for Rose. But, um, you know, we've also discussed whether they might have pegged that this is far from a properly united group. And um, this feels like the perfect play for that. Like, this pretty quickly divides everyone's attention into their own thing. And they're not really a unified team anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to I touch on that. Because it's interesting to me, the kind of feel of the first half of this chapter is Rose obviously knows that this is some kind of trap, because it obviously is, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. And and she's seen the site, and she kind of explains this, and she doesn't really know exactly how it's a trap, and it feels like without that, 
people are starting to get suckered into it. And so she's kind of forced into this weirdly passive position that I interestingly think Blake would kind of bluster his way through. And that seems to be what helps her get through it later. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting feeling where it feels like the rose bits are actually really hindering her in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, I think that's true. Although I think there are cases where it's the other way around. Um, mm. and I think we'll get to one well, soon. Yes. But, um, the, yeah. I mean, I think the thing that felt weird to me here is like, it, it was so obvious when you used the site that these things were like tanking connections. Yeah. And as Rose brings up in a little bit, like they came from demons. I'm a little bit confused as to how everyone, but the sisters of the torch seemingly started to fall for this. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, presumably Isadora, but she's just keeping the fuck away because she's super susceptible to this stuff from memory i think the thorburns might fall for it more if they actually gave more of a shit about it <laughs> yeah callan's the best you could do really yeah exactly um, <laughs> uh yeah no I, like i think it worked I, like i mean i think that's the thing like this sort of this sort of emotional play like you see this a lot in things that have like shapeshifters or something right like the the idea of bringing the ghost yep. of the loved one back and 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 taunting heroes with it and I mean, it's a staple for a reason, which is because like it's powerful and it, and it kind of works. And that's sort of what you see here, where uh, you know, even knowing that these are demons and stuff, it it still hurts. You know, particularly the astrologer and um, Fell's niece, yeah, to sort of see this happening. Yeah, um, the dead kind of start uh, edging around them, getting kind of closing in on them, and uh, it becomes harder and harder for the the people involved, the living, to kind of discount these dead you know relatives and friends because they're acting more and more real and more and more vulnerable and it's it, it really just suckers you in yeah and like because yeah like it, it's kind of a brutal like i mean you know, it's a demon so sure yeah. but it's a brutal way of attacking someone like pulling out their memories of someone they love and then taunting them with them as you destroy them like yeah that's fucked up i love it yeah and the the thing is it's not even an attack they're doing this just as like a just to kind of fuck with you right yeah like, yeah well, this is the distraction. Yes. I, I mean, Rose thinks it's a distraction, but I don't even think it's that because, I mean, we haven't seen what it's distracting for, I, I guess, but... I assumed it was uh, Barbie's entrance yes, at the end. Yes, yes. But it's it, it just seems to be, I don't know, it just seems to be them fucking with them. Like... Oh, yeah. I mean, Miss Lewis is at the helm, right? Like, I'm sure yeah. it's that too. You know, yes, she's a... it feels sadistic. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, she's a two birds with one stone kind of woman, I imagine. Like, I'm, I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure that they're both true. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, obviously, these are all fairly sad, Fell especially. But um, I think the one between Diana and Doug is especially yeah. sad because we know the history and we know, like, she would literally do anything to bring him back. Yeah, the second we saw one was Doug, I was like, oh, this is going to suck. Yeah. Because um, Diana's whole thing has basically been how she's been living to, to live up to his memory. Yes, exactly. Uh, and like she she as a character is, is almost, is very largely defined by missing Doug. So as soon as I saw one was Doug, I was like, oh, fuck. Um, yep. She, she, she does well, though. Yeah. Well, yeah, she she does do quite well in a bit. Um, we get this bit where Peter is quite blunt and starts swearing at them, and then Rose <laughs> kind of channels that uh, and some Blake energy to to be blunt herself, and she kind of uh, gets the the group around her on side enough to buy time and realizes the the trick behind this: the dead are constructed from memories and and the kind of connections of the living. Yeah, so I love how this all sort of starts as well with Isadora being a dick, like. 
because Isadora's kind of struggling the most of this. And yeah. so she just sort of, she actually turns sort of to Blake and is like, I told you you should have just killed yourself. Yep. Um, which, and, and thanks, Rose Isadora. Is like, yeah. Um, you know, helpful as ever. And uh, Rose is sort of like, oh, Blake would have just stubbornly told her to fuck off. And then, like, a few seconds later, she finds herself with the ability to stand stubbornly like that. Yeah. It's just like, I think Blake probably heard Isadora say that and was like, well, fuck off. And then yeah. Rose is like, oh, I wish I had Blake's ability. And he's like, oh, here you go. Yeah, perfect um, timing. But I just love how it's never stated. Like, I, I think I just, both times I read it, immediately came away with this sense that Blake had donated this to her. But yeah. in a way that, uh, like, the text didn't have to say it. Like, Rose didn't have to pause and think, oh, he's given me the ability to be yes. stubborn. Because that didn't make sense. Like, uh, Wabo found a, a way to construct the scene around it so that you just are like, oh, okay, he's done this. That's nice. Yeah, it's to the extent that I don't even know if it is Blake or just Rose drawing on her own stubbornness. But whatever it is, it feels very Blake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty convinced Blake just sort of gave it to her in response to Isadora and her thinking that. Yeah. Um, can we talk about how... Uh, Trick fell was like, no, this isn't a trick, but this is a trick. It's clearly a trick. <laughs> so is was Trick fell lying? Was he trying to pull a double trick, or does he believe it? I, I'm trying to figure out what what we think is likely. Yeah, like I mean, the two scenarios that jumped into my head were, as you said, that Trick fell genuinely believes that he's not a trick, or that you know, if Trick fell's all about messing up the connections anyway, like lying would be a good way to take yeah. those connections. So. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I tend towards the former. I, I It's kind of more scary, the idea that they're such good replicas, they don't even know that they're replicas. <laughs> um, I, I quite like the idea that um, we just kind of have forgotten that things can lie. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's like, true. They, they wouldn't be bound by anything, yeah, would they? Um, it's yeah, such a... Point. Usually things just can't lie so much that <laughs> if something can lie, it's suddenly a big twist that You're they're right, actually that... a trick. That wasn't even on my list. It's a um, good point. Yeah. I, I, I want to touch on this line that Rose thinks about, where she thinks uh, on how Blake has given her emotions and thinks he might not see the full picture. Like the fact that she'd agreed to be a scourge and he'd just given her an experience the Abyss had used to get one more hook in him. Um, and so she's obviously kind of bemoaning the fact that Blake's the short-term thinker and not a long-term thinker. But this is like hmm. the whole definition of their relationship, right? I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know why she's uh, surprised by this. I mean, to be fair, she, she still doesn't remember most of their time together. That's so, true. Um, some of that stuff may not be as well-defined for her as it was for Blake. Fair enough. Or, and us. I don't know. The, um, there's a bit I like coming up where uh, Blake kind of, you know, gives her a little nudge in her soul, and she realises yeah. that he's saying that she has been too big picture and she needs to kind of scope in a bit more, which is a yeah, great she, moment. She starts sort of drifting off and, and, and thinking, like, more long-term, and, and Blake just, just, like, just sort of shakes the building. He's just like, no, no, stop. Yeah. Like, bigger fish yeah um or or i guess closer fish um it, yeah i i kind of i really liked this um because i'm choosing to see it as blake trying to adapt how he's doing like if he's tapped into rose's consciousness still he's probably seeing how much this is annoying and affecting her and he's trying to come up with less aggressive means of getting through to her because this seems yeah. to hurt less him just sort of rattling around a bit um, yeah but it's really fun like something that comes up a lot in this chapter is or at least for me, is this idea of, you know, how these two work together or how they're different. Like, we, we see some Rosisms, we see some Blakeisms, we see them complementing each other. Like, I, I feel like this is going to be something I'm, I want to track very closely moving forward in the arc, is how these two 
play off of each other like this. Yeah, definitely. I'm interested to see as they get better and better at collaborating, you know, how how high that can reach. Yeah, you know, and how long have they got before, you know, like Blake is getting punier and punier, uh, right? Like, yeah, they've got about, I guess, 15 or 16 chapters. <laughs> oh, yeah, tops, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, Doug uh, is close enough to reach out to Diana and she almost gives in. I think she says something like, well, is it worth it if I get to be with him again? Um, but in the end, she uh, does a, a super-powered LED star explosion and summons a giant crane <laughs> to attack him, and the dam is broken with that, and, and the fighting kind of starts in earnest. It's a really cool moment. I, I really, I was really enthralled by this as it was happening. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of thought she was going to do it for yeah, a sec. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, and I mean, just the idea of it as a metaphor for kind of her overcoming this, like, she literally turns into an angel-like being for a second, um, which, you know, given recent events is an image that may not hold as high esteem as it might have, <laughs> you know, It might even a, a be a drawback. <laughs> um, but, wait, no, it's this beautiful moment where she, she kind of defeats her demons, in a way, and, and becomes an angel for a second. I like I, that. I quite liked it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the fighting starts, and almost immediately the shepherd is confronted by his ghosts. Uh, nice wordplay. <laughs> nice kind of thematic callback, <laughs> I guess. Um, and he is killed... Uh, and it feels, I don't know, I, I don't know whether I should feel bad for him, because obviously he's a huge dick, he's he's kind of <laughs> definitely the worst. a villain, but he, we saw that he was, well, although we didn't get the full picture, we did see that he was kind of twisted by regret from something about these three children, presumably how they died, um, and yep. it lost him his life in the end, and that is sad-ish. Yeah, like, if it had to be anyone. Well, um, yeah, true. <laughs> uh, no, you're right. Like, we just talked about how Diana sort of overcame her, her demons and, and her connections here. Seems weird to be celebrating overcoming connections, but I guess that's what demons do. Um, <laughs> whereas, like, the shepherd couldn't. Like, I think it says that the, like, the shepherd doesn't even fight them. He basically... Yeah, he just I think he kind of knows what's happening, and yeah. this is his, his way of getting the penance or whatever. Yeah, um, I think he sees it as kind of karmic retribution. Yeah, exactly. Like, he... Uh, it's been a long time. Like, I think so much of this was set up in 7.x, and, you know, it's obviously been over six months since we read that. Um, but I, I remember the shepherd feeling particularly guilty about these kids yeah. and, and wanting to make it up to them, and I think he maybe just saw this as a way that he felt he could do that. Well, um, presumably they died, and that is what led him to become... Uh, you know, I, I guess a shepherd, a, a Valkyrie, whatever it is, something that yeah. guides the spirits of dead things, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. So that in itself is uh, enough to hint at the tragic backstory here. Um, yeah, but still, he was he was a dick to everyone about it. Yep. So, so yeah. fuck him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Rose kind of dodges out of the way of a shot from Fell and falls to the ground, um, and she's attacked by one of the moats, uh, Serbus. Uh, who gets frozen in time and then exploded by lightning and is still going. Like, what a fucking baller. Um, but yeah, so Rose kind of uh, freaks out a bit and yells out to Faisal to stop this, and that's kind of signal enough for everyone to stop fighting for a moment to see what Faisal does. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess I'll go with where you started with that, which is um, Serbas. Yep. He's, he's a little pain in the butt. I mean, I, I think Rose starts to imagine that he might be immune to the practice, which is like... Yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty powerful. I'm like, 
that's got to be one of the earlier choirs surely because that feels like a just a raw power maybe sorry i'm thinking a lot about the choirs of stuff because yeah. of because of our discussion question like that feels like <laughs> a third third choir type thing like how barbie can get into domains and stuff yeah um whatever it is it's clear that he is i mean e- even these moats are strong right like yeah he at least has three lives if not more <laughs> yeah yeah, he's he's at least a third of a cat. Yeah. Um, so this other thing is this scene where Fel shoots Rose is so good because <laughs> Fel kind of turns his gun on Rose and she dives out of the way and then she kind of realises that he hasn't shot yet. He was just waiting for her to dive and then he just points at her and shoots her. <laughs> like, it's so perfect. <laughs> and if not for Evan, Rose would totally have just gotten shot, which, you know, again, Evan mm. saves the day. Uh, definitely Rose is mostly Blake if that's been happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it, I mean, that's the interesting thing. Like, something we've been calling out since arc 10 was how Rose and Evan were never in sync and Blake and Evan totally yep. were. Yeah. And you can see them... Again, it's it's clunky, but they get to work together a little bit. And, like, it's it's that idea of the bits of Blake going into Rose, I guess, or, yeah. or you know, for whatever reason. There's just this this gap is closing a little bit. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the other thing that we see in this little scuffle is uh, Elder Sister seems to be controlling the Eye of the Storm, which is, mm. I don't know, like, they were, they were obviously uh, bound to a flame spirit beforehand, uh, but... I don't know. Is this an upgrade? This feels like an upgrade. The Eye of the Storm feels pretty powerful. Yeah. I, I mean, the way the sisters work, I feel like they were tapping all sorts of different powers from the elemental they yeah. had, whereas um, the Eye seems more like something that's sentient and you just like ask him for favors as the Lord. Um, you're right. Yeah. It does feel like an upgrade. He he comes in pretty fucking handy here. Yes. Um, and like it was a good call by the elder sister to bring him in. And I mean, I think that's kind of... Something I just want to cl- uh, like quickly shout out is the Sisters of the Torch, far and away the most competent members of the Toronto team here. No wonder they <laughs> took over. Yeah. Um, Isadora, extenuating circumstances, but she's kind of, you know, hobbling out back. Yeah. Uh, everyone else just kind of fucks around. The Elder Sister's really the one who saves the day here. Yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that the Sisters are going to be quite good allies <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah if elder sister can pull the rest of them in that'd be useful yeah definitely um so yeah Faisal is here he he kind of calls for this scuffle to end and for them to basically need to come to a better uh understanding through words not through violence and mrs lewis <laughs> seems to agree but then Faisal basically is zapped by the lawyers in combination with uh barbara harness who has risen from the depths <laughs> and is here to fuck shit up I, I love how in this chapter there's like three or four of those like big powerful being comes yeah. back and has switched yeah, sides. True. Um, like the eye shows up and, and starts zapping people and you're like, oh, it's our old enemy, but he's on our side. And then Faisal yeah. swoops in and then it's, and then Faisal is countered by even bigger, more powerful, goody turned bad. Yes. Um, it's it's very fun. Um, and, and I mean, something I, I feel like we should talk about here that we kind of haven't given enough credit to over the last like three or four chapters is throughout this whole scene with so much going on i feel like wabo has been doing an excellent job of like giving us snippets of these mysteries and then yeah. distracting us um like there was a bit in i think it was early 15.7 where rose was sort of like huh it's weird that mer hasn't done anything yet and then he you know it delivers on that at the end of 15.x yeah um there's the bits early in this chapter where rose notes that the lawyers have disappeared and and like this is just a distraction that comes back here uh 
uh, there's she she hears she notes that they're holding a bunch of items as well and again that comes back later like i think with so much going on in this scene wildbo's doing such a good job at quickly highlighting that there's something off then distracting us with all the, the shit that's going on and then when those things get delivered on you're just like oh yeah of course like i i remember having my attention called to that but i forgot about it mm, yeah um and I'm sure that this distraction has set the seeds for more of those that we haven't seen pay off yet. I, I yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. The lawyers don't seem like the uh, one and done type yes. of, of people. They um they probably have backup plans on backup plans. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Faisal uh dies right. Uh, it it seems so. Yeah. Yeah. So see you, Faisal. Um, you came here to clean stuff up and to take down Johannes, and you basically totally fucked that up. So, good job. Uh, not just that, you also fucked up the chance for proper progress that Jacob Spell had. So, ten out of ten. See you, Faisal. Oh no, but Faisal foresaw Johannes's plan failing, and Faisal's very good at forethought. That's how yes. he ended up in this situation. Yes, he clearly um, is yeah. a master planner. <laughs> Yeah, no, he done goofed hard. Um, it seems fitting because he, uh, you know, manipulated the shit out of everyone. And yeah, yeah, like I want to feel bad for him, but really, I just feel bad that they lost the angel on their side. Um, I love how Miss Lewis phrases this. Like when when Faisal was like, "Surely we should just," he's like, "Surely it would be easier and better to have like an ongoing working relationship." And Miss Lewis is just like, "Yes, that is true." And then the the flute. Or the you know the pipes music <laughs> comes in and it's just like that was a ten out of ten tricky truth sneaky truth there Miss Lewis like yep. that's it's so good I I burst out laughing when Miss Lewis is like you know it, it's right it would have it would have been easier if if we just had a working relationship and then the pipes start you're like oh Faisal <laughs> so fucked yeah it's great yeah it's good times um yeah bye Faisal you were a fun character but uh, you really just fucked everything up. <laughs> Um, so yes, the lawyers and Barbie prepare for the finishing blow when suddenly they explode, um, which I think surprises everybody involved. Uh, Ellie is back and has brought Andy, and Andy's brought his rocket launcher, um, blowing them up. And uh, they basically all start to run before the lawyers, who will obviously survive this, start to pull themselves <laughs> back together. Yeah, they've got... I mean, this is a very temporary, this is like a, okay, we've got 10 seconds head start yeah. type situation. Yeah, um, it's it's fun that the rocket launcher comes back though, right? Like it was seeded way, way long ago, and now it finally returns. And it's not, you know, Andy thought of it as this is going to be a thing that ends Jacob's Bell uh, or ends the, you know, the council of Jacob's Bell. But really, all it's being used here for is for what, like ten seconds, twenty seconds of of time buying. Yeah, you're right. Like I, I just I just sort of went on a whole rant about the the sort of little bits of seeding Wobbo's done in the last three or four chapters. But yeah. this chapter's full of stuff that's been seeded arcs ago. Like yes. that, yeah, that bazooka thing is just like you're like, oh, like how did I forget? In fact, I've actually been meaning to bring up for a while now. Like I think there was a throwaway line like four chapters ago when they first got out of the library where it was like Oh, oh no, it was when the lawyers first came and they're like, Oh Ellie, go back to the witch hunter we left you with and I was yes. like, Wait eva's back turns out no uh andy is um and, and and like you know as well with all the toronto characters like we're getting delivery off stuff like with the shepherd you know that's from 7.x like 
this yeah. is ancient stuff being dragged up as well as modern stuff like it it, it adds to that sense of the story coming together. Yeah, I mean, it's been happening last uh, arc as well, but it really does feel yeah. like every dangling thread is coming in, and actually all it's really being able to do is buy seconds of time. <laughs> um, so yeah. eventually they're going to run out of dangling threads to put between them and their untimely death. Yeah, you're right. The stakes are so high now that all these big things coming back, like uh, yeah. like the bazooka, it's like, okay, cool, so Andy's big bazooka that was going to kill everyone bought us 10 seconds. Yep. Oh, it's it's pretty great. Yeah, Faisal's out. The Toronto crew is here, but it seems like they're able to help somewhat, but probably not uh, entirely. And it's kind of like we're running out of favors to call in. We're running out of potential characters that have been seeded that we can pull back in. I don't know. It's uh, it's the end game, all right. Yeah, like I was starting to wonder who else we could call in now. Uh, like I think my go-tos when we've talked about this in the past have been like, oh, maybe Isadora will come back and that, and she'll help. Yeah. Um, but we're through every one of those. Um, my one shred of hope, like the only idea I've come up with is that Barbatorum hates structures and the lawyers seem pretty structured, so mm. maybe he'll attack them on principle? Um, <laughs> yeah, you've, you've solved it. <laughs> I mean, I give myself 0.0001% chance of being correct, but... Yeah. Um, I feel like we're going to make it to Led's house and, and there's going to have to be a regrouping because, like, I feel like there's just going to have to be a bit where everyone sort of sits around and they're like, okay, so what the fuck do we do? Yeah. Uh, otherwise, they're just going to die very soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, it's going to be it's going to be a fun a fun second siege of, of a house in this town. Yes. Uh, Duress 2.0. Um, yeah. But that's, uh, that's where Judgment 16.1 ends. We'll have to see what plan this motley group can come up with. Um next time yeah uh so for now why don't we just dive into the myriad of great answers we got to this yes. discussion question this love week. it love a good discussion question that inspires lots of people to pull up interesting cultural uh you know phenomenons supernatural yeah. cultural bits i hadn't heard of anything that came up today which is fantastic like that's that's exactly what you want i reckon yes uh, i've heard of one thing from D and that was it <laughs> Um, yeah, so I guess I'll get us started. Um, so Brawl 97, and for to remind everyone, the discussion question was, um, you know, pick something from your local folklore or whatever and talk about how it might operate as a demon impact and what choir it might belong to. Mm-hmm. Um, so Brawl 97 uh, was thinking of Adlets, which are this sort of race of half-dog people from Inuit mythology, yep. and um, tied it to the the sort of incest demon we saw in Black Lamb's Blood, like uh, just thinking on the sixth choir and this idea of human sins. Yeah. Brawl came up with this idea of like a minor sixth choir demon, um, or maybe even a fairly major one, there was some sort of demon of bestiality yeah. that might have, you know, been manipulating people into breeding with dogs, basically, and, and you know, specifically, as well as just making them do it, uh you know having this sin manifest as uh you know insane mythological creatures that attack people yeah i can see that makes a lot of sense um there was actually a response to this um which david l hunt brought up which i think is this is going to be a theme for this section um david noted that it could also be if the fifth choir depending on how you frame it uh like the if it was around inverting the natural order either like man laying with dog type situation yeah um then you know that that's almost more fifth than sixth choir so it depends yeah. on sort of how, how it's all framed um and these two eventually sort of decided on the idea that labels are dangerous um <laughs> which is fair but like something that came up for me reading all of these is thinking oh that might not be 
third, that might be fifth choir yes, or something. Exactly. Like that. We um, this discussion question really was try and apply a label onto something that doesn't quite fit, or you know, <laughs> at, at best, will only mostly fit. Um, so, of course, if you encounter any of these demons in real life, we're not taking any accountability for that. <laughs> Deal with it in your own way. Yeah, I know. I guess for me, this just sort of started to highlight like uh, how murky the distinctions between some of the choirs still are for me yeah and i and i think that might be by design i'm not sure yeah yeah um yeah i think so i mean it's like you know everything in pact isn't it's never a strict adherence to a rule right that's never really yeah. the way things work in pact and i think this is just another manifestation of that yeah yeah that's fair um so i want to pull out an answer by thunderfulness who i don't know if we've had answer a discussion question before so no welcome. i feel like i'd recognize that name yeah, it is a good pretty name. good yeah <laughs> welcome thunderfulness thank you for your answer uh they talk about a balinese uh kind of demon called rangda who was a princess that was ex- exiled for witchcraft actually i'm not sure whether that was uh correct or incorrect but it, it became correct because uh, after that she basically started tempting others to also start practicing ri- witchcraft in addition to kind of general evilness you know causing plagues natural disasters uh your standard evil demon kind of stuff um so thunderfulness talks about impact she'd be a pretty good candidate for second choir basically just existing to cause chaos tempt others to to be chaotic as well um she would live in the jungle she has a panda and she would fuck over sorry not a panda a panther um and she would fuck over practitioners who are you know trying to do good uh, so a classic demon which i quite liked yeah yeah i almost wonder if that's more seventh choir than second like again this is just this thing like i feel like it's it all depends on the framing and exactly how they operate um yes that, that sort of sneaky tricking people into doing witchcraft just reminded me of the whole spreading diabolist books that we've talked about the seventh choir doing yes um, i think there's there's uh strong reasons that it could be ruin or even uh you know subversion of order as well especially because she's got yeah. quite a natural theme that can quite easily tie into some of this other stuff so again you know hmm. we're not uh we're not diabolists that's our legal <laughs> disclaimer <laughs> also just like a public service announcement <laughs> <laughs> yeah Se- seems worth stating yeah. um we we got a great one from Bisexual Punch Party, mm-hmm. uh, who talks about the Jin and Mock from the the Vertigo Lucifer comics, which I'm pretty sure is what the TV show is based on. Um, but basically, the the Jin and Mock in in this in this comic series, they kill people and they take their bodies. Um, but wait, so they're, they're kind of body snatchers, but to keep the body maintained, they need to feed off of like memories of mm. the person's look. And obviously, obviously that disappears over time. So eventually they'll, yeah. they'll go and take a new host. Um, but by essential punch party likened this to feeding off of connections. Like obviously the connection system so great for just being able to represent this idea of like the mem- everyone's memories of this person yes. fading over time. Yes. Um, and so bisexual, uh, bisexual punch party uh, <laughs> compared them to something from the choir of ruin. Um, yeah. Like, like uh, to me, it kind of felt like Myrrh meets Barbatorum. Yeah. So like, I guess that makes sense. So like, this could be a moat of Barbatorum or something. I don't, I don't know if we got told what choir Myrrh is in. Yes, true. I'm not sure. Uh, but you're right. It definitely feels very packed demon-esque, right? Like taking yeah. something that is a staple of the world and a you know a core part of the world and turning it into something that can be abused horribly yeah yeah exactly 
Um, I want to pull out a, a, a response by Bigomiko, uh, who talks about the concept of the evil eye, which is something that exists in a lot of cultures and varies a fair amount, but kind in of Middle is Earth. a... Pardon? It's in Middle Earth. Yes, right. Yeah, so it gets all over the place. I mean, that's um, just one culture it's in, that's what I'm saying. Yes, yes, I see. The Middle Earth culture. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so basically it's a, a ma- ma- malevolent force, or in some ways, in some cultures, it's kind of a, a a force that is malevolent upon somebody, but only somebody who does evil to others, especially to innocence. So, um, you know, it's a bit of a, a, a dexter of a spirit, you know. Um, mm. So Bogomiko thinks that in Pact this would manifest as a demon that kind of takes the place of a spirit um, and, and latching onto that second version of the evil eye a bit more where it, where it is a kind of karmic retribution force, um, it would observe a practitioner and basically uh, force things that they say to become false so that they can be quite easily forsworn. Basically, mm. a demon that exists to fuck up your life, not directly, but by making it so that things you do or say become incorrect, uh, which I like as an idea. Um, and of course, uh, the the evil eye kind of in... Uh, the human world, I suppose, uh, is warded off through small rituals similar to, like, you know, touching wood or, or kind of anything that acknowledges the evil eye. There's this interesting saying in Hebrew that Begomiko brings up where if you add no bad eye to the end of a simple promise, it kind of, you know, is like a double promise. Like uh, the example they use is, I'll be there by 2 p.m., no bad eye, which just means you can bet on it, you know? Um, yeah. So kind of like... Kind of like similar to the way you'd use like pinky promise. Or yes, something. exactly. Um, but explicitly calling out no bad eye, right? And and that kind yeah. of leads into the idea of acknowledging the evil eye and taking some small step to to ward it off is usually enough to deal with it because you know if you know that it's affecting you, obviously it won't be as effective. Um, so similarly, you know, in pact, if uh, the evil eye exists, you can just kind of acknowledge it and it will more or less lose interest in you. So I'll, I like this. I like. Th- I like this framing of uh, something that in the law, you know, uh, like is is something that targets other evildoers and making it something that targets practitioners. Yeah. Kind of singling them out as selfish or whatever. Because, you know, impact, it could just be that it targets practitioners because it's from ruin or something, or the yeah. choir of ruin. Yeah, but. It wants to bring powerful things down, but like that got turned into in folklore. Uh, it targets assholes because it's yes. targeting the practitioners. I love that. It's very packed, right? <laughs> the idea that even just by becoming a practitioner, you already are losing some battles. And this is one of the demons that really exemplifies that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I also wanted to pull out one from All Seeing Eye number 70. Um, All Seeing Eye cheated a bit. They, they listed a couple. <gasps> um, Cheater. The, the 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 bulk of their answer was the Aicha Candicha from mm. Morocco, um, which is this sort of succubus type um, creature that you know in a very patriarchal society it was all about like emasculating men, like it was making them weak and impotent was, was sort of the focus of what it did. Uh, and all seeing eye number seventy suggests that this could be like a fifth choir type situation yeah um as i thought about it i thought the third fitted as well again it just proved to me how bad i am at categorizing these sorts of demons (laughs) yeah i i think again it feels like it could be 
anything, right? It could literally turn into any kind of, um, like, well, not anything, obviously, probably not all of them, but it feels <laughs> like there are a lot of uh, crossover between these demons in some really interesting ways. Yeah, well, sorry to jump around a bit, but going back to Bigo Maiko's one yeah. um, about the evil eye, like, the concept of something having that form that's so loose, like the evil eye, that I think the only thing we've seen like that is like Earth, so I could see that being First Choir. Like, I don't know if they're always so... I don't know if that's actually a thing for the First Choir, being so kind of abstract. Yeah. Um, But, like, you know, it, it feels like it would be related to Earth, whether it's, you know, in the same choir or on the same level or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I can see that. Um, but yeah, so also in I-70 also just brought up um, an Owl of Sickness, which uh, basically leaves children sick and disabled and uh, makes adults sort of get sick in the way that they no longer get any nourishment out of eating and then they mm. die. Um, so that, that feels like, you know, third or fifth choir shenanigans again. Yep. Uh, and then there's also a hyena uh, legend that's sort of in this local area of Morocco that makes everyone go insane and was a pretty good candidate for um, the fourth choir, which was the Choir of Madness. <laughs> I like the way you've written it down, which is a fourth choir hyena that makes people go crazy and laugh all the time. <laughs> Just sounds yeah, so horrifying. That was part of the, the way it makes you go crazy is yep. you get like a laughing sickness type thing, which is, um, you know, that it's, yeah, terrifying. So yep. it, it fits. Yeah. Um, I guess our final answer is from Sahibimum7, uh, who brought up uh, the Changeling from D&D, which is, uh, you know, I mean, also from common mythology, uh, Gaelic mythology especially, I think. Um, and uh, Sahibimum kind of thinks of the imp, uh, thinks of Changelings as basically an imp that was trying to learn and grow, kind of taking bodies and connections. And I think it, it, it uh, reminds me of, of how uh, in 15.x, Imps were described as kind of feeding off of the people around them, uh, and this is kind of another manifestation of that. Yeah, like I think something Sahibum 7 brought up that I hadn't really thought about was um, it took me back to how Pose was, you know, trying to grow in power and trying to learn yes. things. Or that was sort of what Rose was talking about back then. Like, And, and that was something I hadn't really thought about for a while is the way imps are sort of these little fires trying to grow. Yeah. Um, I'd sort of... I just, I guess I've just forgotten that aspect of how demons worked, um, and I'll be interested to maybe keep an eye on stuff like that going forward. Yeah. Part of me still thinks um, Ur's babies might show up at some point, because uh, we still haven't... That, you know, speaking of threads in 7.x that were brought up this chapter, <laughs> that's one that... That's a shoe that hasn't dropped yet. You think they're going to come in to save the day? <laughs> yep, sure. <laughs> I mean, they were they were made of part of Blake, right? So maybe they feel some uh, <laughs> attachment to him and are going to come save him. Well, if there's anything left by the time they show up, maybe. <laughs> yes, fair. Um, that's that's the end of our discussion on sixteen point one. Uh, but it's time for us to bring out a new discussion question, and obviously we've got demons on the brain a bit. Um, so we want to talk more about demons, and something that I think uh, neither Rose nor Blake have really thought of in this situation is. Can we summon a demon to help ourselves out of this situation? I mean, obviously, maybe it's a bit like fighting fire with fire, but... Uh, yeah, well, I mean, Rose's whole plan in, I think it was 15.6 or 15.7, was to bounce back any demons they pulled out that were big enough that she could, uh, like, talk to them. Yes. Um, that's obviously a huge concern with um, yes. the lawyers. The only the only demon I would have thought, oh, well, the lawyers can't bounce that back, would have been Barbatorum, but uh, that ship's yep. already sailed. <sighs> yep, so. they, they, he's already uh, got an ally, I think. Um, so, yeah, we were kind of thinking from this, you know, when would you use a demon, when wouldn't you? And I, I guess this question that we've come to is, in what kinds of situations is it okay to use a demon? 
can can you listener yes you think of any situations where you would summon a demon for something yes um and you know like obviously uh in our interlude a couple of days ago we saw that this can go badly so i feel like that's something to keep in mind is like when what is a situation where you feel that not only there's just the karmic wrongness of all this as well as the actual wrongness because fuck karma yeah um is enough to justify the danger to yourself as well yeah um so leave your answers to that in our discussion thread, which you'll see linked down in the show notes down below. Or hey, just leave us a note uh, about what you thought of this episode or what you thought of Judgment 16.1 in general. Yeah, and you know, feel free, uh, feel free to throw out ideas about All Packed Up, uh, as we said. Yep. Schedule coming very soon, but it's not too late to throw out some ideas and uh, yeah. we might add them on. Yeah, there are a lot of parts of the stream that are built around audience engagement. So yes. engage, get engaged. <laughs> Um, if you want more details on that, and if you want to see that uh, that that sort of schedule when it's published, we'll probably talk about it whenever it comes out. But uh, yep. if you want if you want the hot scoop, you got to go to doofmedia.com because that's where it'll be posted first. Yes, and um, not you- just the schedule, but you can also find all kinds of cool things on doofmedia.com: coloring in sheets, um, some fun flash games, and a whole bunch of podcasts uh, <laughs> like Kingslingers, the new podcast. Uh, which is talking about Stephen King, The Gunslinger, the the Dark Tower books in particular, I suppose. Uh, they just had their second episode come out, and I listened to it today. It's good times. Yeah, I, I as we've said, I'm very much enjoying the the Switcheroo. Yeah, um, I'm enjoying the story as well. Like I I can't wait to to watch this this podcast go forward. Yeah. Um. Uh, we also have a Patreon, Patreon.com forward slash Doofmedia. Yes. Uh, this network is is built on our patrons, and uh, we we try to give back. Obviously, you know, not just through these podcasts, but uh, if you subscribe at the five dollar tier, I think we mentioned this last episode, you get access to the Doof and Chill streams. Uh, yeah. We just did our one with uh, we played AI Dungeon, and you can watch the recording of it uh, if you sign up. And you you really should. Uh, that was fucking. It hilarious. was very fun. Like, <laughs> there were multiple moments where we all just kind of descended into laughter for a good thirty <laughs> seconds and couldn't speak. Yeah, uh, and, so, and so we did that with our listeners. We were taking uh, suggestions from the listeners as well as trying to come up with shenanigans ourselves. Yeah, uh, yeah. The AI dungeon did not disappoint. Yes, it was good fun. Um, to get access to all that great stuff plus others, if you're interested, head on over to Patreon.com/forward/slash/doofmedia. And hey, while you're on Patreon.com/forward/slash/doofmedia, why don't you check out Wildbo's Patreon as well? Because he is a patron-supported author, and uh, he can only do the cool stuff that he does because other people do the cool stuff of giving him money so um <laughs> go to patreon.com slash and do that yep so apart from that we'll see you on wednesday because we've got another bonus chapter this week what, what? Uh, on the 29th of january uh we're jumping into 16.2 yep so we'll see you then